Totally Football Show. Today, extended dating app metaphor special. As Liverpool bumble on, Tottenham grind it out, Wolves meet their match, someone has a swipe at Jose, and Mourinho shows that he is not dated. We've got all the news from the Premier League and beyond with Leo's KO, Thierry's terrible start, and Wayne making it look easy in DC. All that and more in this Totally Football Show. Hey, listener, thanks for joining us again. We've got a busy show for you and a crazy gang to talk us through what's been really a huge week of football. Michael Cox. Hi, James. By the way, Michael's book is now available in Polish. How do you say the mixer in Polish? Well, it's just called Premier League in Polish. Daniel Story, is your book available in Polish? Uh, no, just okay. English. That's Gazer in Italy, but not in Poland. Raphael Honigstein, you're fresh back from Poland. Yes, James. Excellent. Um, I was there for the launch of the Polish version of Bring the Noise. Bring the Noise. Very good. And did you translate the Eric B. and Rakim quote? Yes, I didn't personally because my Polish is rubbish, but right. they did, yes. Did you have to pay them extra royalties? No, we had a, a worldwide royalty agreement. <laughs> Excellent. So just to clarify that this is an Eric B. and Rakim uh, quote from which track is it? Eric B. for president. Right, OK. Which you use to preface Bring the Noise, which is kind of ironic because you've taken the title from a Public Enemy track. So, yeah, slightly mixed messages there. Ian, as I know you're puzzled by uh, Ian Irving also joining us here. Hello, James. I've not written a book since, I think, Year 9 English, but it was a good one. Right, but you have got a story about Alex Ferguson's toilet. His former toilet, no less. OK. Do you want it now? No. No, no. Okay. <laughs> no, not at all. Do you, do you want it later? <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, listener, let's just jump in straight away then with Saturday lunchtime, the big clash at Stamford Bridge and Raphael Honigstein, you were there to see Chelsea draw 2-2 with Man United. I was there, yes, and um, it was a strange game because the first half, as Maurizio Sarri said afterwards, and I, I concur with his assessment, uh, Chelsea were in complete control, United did that thing where they were just waiting for things to happen, being very passive, but Chelsea going one and up and you're just wondering when will the second goal kind of kill them off. There was nothing from United. Um, it all kind of turned around a few minutes into the second half where the, uh, I call it in my uh, Spiegel piece, the, the, the tactics of the poisonous snake. So uh, one team makes itself very small and just bites you a couple of times. You don't really know what's happened, but suddenly you drop dead. That's kind of what happened to uh, to Chelsea that day. Um, and they Obviously, obviously rescued a point, but Sarri was very, very unhappy, but just to the extent of how Chelsea's game had broken down in the second half. They're saying we're playing long balls, we're playing into the hands of Man United, we kind of lost our way completely, and he was at pains to, un to understand what had happened. Uh, as for United, I think it's easy to oversell the result. Uh, there is something very pleasing and very impressive about results football, getting a result. We feel it's a kind of almost like a magic trick come to, coming together. But I still think you cannot actually achieve too many wins in the Premier League playing that way. A, because you're not going to be up against teams who want the ball as much as Chelsea did. And B, I think it's just you're gambling on two or three occasions that you will take. Yes, if you're as clinical as, as Martial was, it can work. But it is a very hard way, I think, of stringing up consistent wins. And for all the plaudits and for all the, you know, Jose's back narrative, blah, blah, uh, they're sitting in 10th with 14 points, uh, nine points behind the top. So it is actually a pretty bad season. 
Okay, Daniel, points that, that Man United can take, positive points? I think the the main point they can take is probably Anthony Martial, who was probably the uh, high-profile player that Mourinho fell out with over the summer. Um, and I think usually with a young player, when they're left out of the team for a while and they come back in, that the assumption is that they will snatch at chances or they'll snatch at opportunities they come their way, either either as a defender or particularly pertinently as an attacker, snapping at, you know, snatching at chances. But actually, he took his two chances really, really well. He didn't look like a player that had been struggling for minutes and has not played much football recently. And I just, I think Manchester United fans just hope that with Alexis Sanchez in the form he is, that it leads to a, you know, an extended run in the team for these players that they're not in one week and out the next because, you know, he he should have won them the game. We've seen Mourinho be brilliant. We've seen him have kind of bitter exits. Then afterwards, I don't think we've ever seen him ride out that and come back, rediscover his. His, his, his kind of bond with the team. And certainly people were suggesting that this late goal and coupled with the, the comeback win against Newcastle suggested that there was something akin to that going on. The here. fans have responded to it, certainly. I mean, listening to, to some of the fans speaking after the match against Newcastle and certainly after the match against Chelsea when we had that reaction right at the end on the touchline as well, which was really entertaining to watch, wasn't it? Certainly. Um United fans were sort of saying that's that's my manager. That's that's the type of fight that they want to see, because at times you're talking about the team being passive before Rafa. The manager's been a bit passive as well, in terms of taking control of situations and matches. And I think sometimes United fans wanted to see this Mourinho sort of version that we've not seen for a while. Who'd come out with these tactical masterclasses every now and then and come out with uh, these you know, substitutions that would change the game on its head in an instant completely. The type of change that, that saw them knock United out of the Champions League when he was manager of Real Madrid against uh, Sir Alex Ferguson in his, final, in his final match in the Champions League, taking advantage of a red card, making a sub in an instant while Ferguson was still arguing with the officials about the decision. So they wanted to see a bit more fight. They wanted to see a bit more anger. And he was active in the second half on the touchline. Maybe the performance wasn't what it needs to be for Manchester United, but there was more fight, there was more flair, and there was more really for the fans to cling on to as well. And it was a really important half for Romelu Lukaku for me as well. I didn't think Manchester United played very well, to be honest. I think uh, Chelsea were by... In either half? Not really. No, I thought Chelsea were by far the better team. United did have a spell of pressure at the start of the second half, but I thought this was all about Chelsea. You know, they're, they've started much better than we expected, but they've got two big weaknesses. The The first weakness is David Luiz, who played very well against Liverpool recently, and the way he plays, he can look magnificent the odd week, but he does make mistakes, and he made a, a quite a bad mistake, I think, for that uh, second goal. And the other issue is Morata, who... Didn't miss chances, but even worse, he didn't even get into the positions to miss the chances. There was an incident in the first half where Hazard pulled the ball across the six-yard box and Morata was on the edge of the box having come short. And he does that all the time. He comes short and even when there's no one behind him, he never turns. He always plays backward passes. And yeah, I thought Chelsea just dominated the game and, and just weaknesses at either end cost them, really. Duncan, sorry, I was just going to mention some stats that Duncan Alexander, who's wont to do this, uh, put up after the game. Pointing to the fact that Chelsea mentioning Louise and vulnerabilities at the back, the number of chances that they concede. Man City, for example, have conceded five chances, clear-cut chances this season and conceded three goals in them. Liverpool have allowed seven clear-cut chances, conceding just one. Chelsea, 17 clear-cut chances conceded and only two goals have resulted from them. So in a sense, this was kind of, this was on the way. Yeah, and they've, they've been a team that's, 
like Arsenal, they've they've been pretty efficient in front of goal, which has masked some of those deficiencies as well. And um, I think Michael's absolutely right. I think Morata is he's quickly becoming Fernando Torres esque at Chelsea in that the whole demeanour is of a frustrated player, and the you know the the exception is becoming the rule. There's, I cannot remember the last time he, he played with any dominance, the last time he made runs that Eden Hazard was looking for. And Hazard in particular was, was quiet. And, and, and on commentary, I think it was Gary Neville, gave Ashley Young an awful lot of credit for that. But actually, Young didn't really do that much. Hazard drifted in and, and failed to connect with Alvaro Morata's and everything just broke down 30, 35 yards from goal. Morata looked so low on confidence. Even when he came off the pitch, he didn't seem entirely happy. He was shaking his head and just looking like a guy who just has can't find his feet at the moment and I think it's actually worse than Torres because Torres was still giving you a bit of energy and you could still play football with him he just wasn't scoring Morata there was a point where I can't remember who it was but he looked up and Morata was on and I just thought there's just no point giving the ball to him because he's going to come straight back Rafa how close were you sitting to the big touchline melee at the end I was very close but on the wrong side unfortunately oh. I was behind a Chelsea bench so um, you know the tunnel comes out right. this little plexiglass Plexi thingy, so I didn't see anything. Um, only on the monitor. Sorry, right. James. It looked great on TV. Love it. Yeah, I, I'm probably the wrong person to explain this. Um, some of us here in the room might have more experience, but in in every bar, so brawl, there's always one guy who pretends he's going to now get into a fight and wants his mates to hold him back because he doesn't actually want to fight, but just hold me back, hold me back, I want to kill him. And that was very much, Jack I think, that was very that, much, yeah. I think, Jose. Um, well, Jose's been pushed around repeatedly on, on the sideline by, I mean, certainly Arsene Wenger uh, had <laughs> yeah. the better of him in one clash. And it was you, all very pantomime, I must say, on mm-hmm. Saturday. I think the one nice thing to come out of it is that the managers after the game both just said, look, shouldn't have happened. We both said sorry. Mauricio Sarri said, I apologise for the member of staff that celebrated in your face. Mourinho said, I probably shouldn't have reacted. And they all just went, let's just leave it there. Which, that is a new side of Mourinho. He would have normally have done anything he could to extend a feud. But to kind of dampen it down with cold water straight after full time is, I don't know if that's significant, but it certainly seemed a new mood for Mourinho. Mm. He had just put his three fingers up to the Chelsea yes. fans hadn't he <laughs> just, just before so <laughs> not completely new Mourinho maybe <laughs> although he could have flicked two fingers to the <laughs> Chelsea fans I suppose which would have been worse than three well indeed <laughs> this story that he's on the comeback trail will be tested Tuesday evening when Juventus turn up at Old Trafford a Juve team that's yet to concede in the Champions League two points ahead of Man United in their group of course, Mourinho, former Inter manager, so any clash with, with Juve is a big deal. But I guess this is more, Daniel, you're going to this game. This is more about Cristiano Ronaldo's return to Old Trafford. Yeah, I think that will be the the narrative before and after the game, how he does. But well, for United, they, you know, they pretty much have to avoid defeat. Otherwise, they go to Valencia and know that if they go to Valencia and lose, they could easily go out of the group stage. Um, they looked awful against Valencia at home. For all their improvement, Juventus are obviously a, a step up on most of the teams they face faced this season and probably a step up still on Sarri's Chelsea, I think, although they dropped points at the weekend. Mm. Um, Ronaldo will be motivated, Allegri will be motivated, Juventus will be motivated. If the same Manchester United turns up they did against Valencia, they'll lose. The problem United have got this season is the defence. And for Mourinho's side, that is quite rare as well, especially a side that doesn't exactly attack that fluidly like United. It doesn't really throw caution to the wind unless they're 2-0 down at home to Newcastle. But 
this season in the Premier League, one clean sheet from nine Premier League matches. This stage of last season, seven clean sheets from nine Premier League matches. So that shows you a quite clear regression. Um, the centre-halves have been in and out almost constantly. He seems to have settled now on Chris Smalling and Victor Lindelof. But then you look at the two goals that they conceded against Chelsea and it's just a mess, isn't it? Set pieces, they look vulnerable as well. And that's certainly the biggest issue for United. You can talk about the style of play and trying to get the best out of players like Sanchez, like Martial, like Pogba. We're still talking about that, aren't we? But suddenly the defence has become their biggest issue for me. It sounds like everyone's making Juve favourites for this, Michael. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think Juve are good sides. I think they're slightly flattered by having not conceded any goals in the Champions League because they've made some defensive mistakes in domestic competition, particularly Benucci, who hasn't looked very Mm. confident at all since returning. Um, So I think it'll be a good game. I think United will probably be more proactive than than they have been against, uh, well, certainly against Valencia. I think they'll probably be, you know, a bit buoyed, have some confidence after scoring two at the weekend against Chelsea. So yeah, I think it's the game of the uh, game of the week. Old Trafford will be different as well because I I know we go on about like, you know, home European ties under the lights and all this sort of stuff. But just generally after, after Newcastle, after Chelsea, the fans feel better about things. It might not be perfect. Of course it's not, but it's better than it was before. Cristiano Ronaldo coming back as well. We'll, we'll, inject a bit of energy into the occasion as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see because I think, what was it, the 96th minute they conceded that equaliser against against Chelsea. I think with or without that, the feeling's still there. You know, the, the fact that it has got a little bit better, the fact that since half-time against Newcastle, there's been a bit more to cling on to than before. We're not talking about major, major, major progress, but we are talking about incremental change, which at one point looked impossible for Mourinho. It looked like... Certainly half-time against Newcastle, it looked like it was game over, really. So, you know, there might be small steps, but they are steps forward for United, and that's how the fans are feeling at the moment. I see. All right, then. That's enough Man United for now. In a second or two, we'll deal with the two teams that are atop the Premier League, Manchester City and Liverpool. And what awaits them this midweek? You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Right, so Man City and Liverpool two points clear of Chelsea and Spurs. Now Liverpool edging past Huddersfield while City put five past their former teammate Joe Hart who'd had a training pitch at the Etihad campus named after him during the week. That's nice. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, he's quite unfairly almost a bit of a laughingstock these days, Joe Hart, but was briefly a fantastic goalkeeper, contributed to two title successes. It was wonderful in that first season, the first title winning season in particular. Mm. So it was nice to see him getting a good reception. How much did he contribute to the five goals in this game? Well, he made a couple of good saves actually in the, uh, you know, when it was still tight and yeah, I don't think he had a particularly poor game. I think City created lots of good chances as they always do. I thought Burnley were a little bit unlucky, actually. I'm, I'm so reluctant to kind of support Sean Dyche's constant whining about referees, but I think in this case, he Can, probably does have he a case. Does he have that in his vocal range, whining, or is it just a kind of... The, yeah, that's a fair point. It's very very much a lower pitch than that. Right. A lower lower pitch and a lower block in terms of how they play. Um, the first instant, I thought Company was so obviously a red card. Yeah. Really obviously a red card. And I think Company, I think he gets away with this kind of thing time and time again because he's such a nice bloke and mm. so eloquent and you want him to succeed and his injury problems are so bad, but just an awful tackle from his own mistake, really. It was, yeah. it was ridiculous. It, it was, was a really nice Joe Hart moment, just so I can share it briefly. In the first half, a free kick just inside the Burnley half on the right-hand side, right in front of the Manchester City dugout and Joe Hart 
toddled his way over to take the free kick using his feet at the Etihad Stadium and there was a very knowing sort of wink and a grin towards the uh, backroom staff at City after mm. all the all the noise about his distribution and Pep Guardiola taking a free kick right in front of Pep. I think Joe quite enjoyed. Ha. It, it was just a lobbed free kick into the area in the rough direction of Sam Vokes. So whether that proves the point or not, it did reach Sam Vokes. So nice. Take That's that, Pet. Okay. Uh, there were five different scorers. Do you have a favourite of the? Because you were there, were you not, Ian? Yes, I worked the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to be honest, I think the second goal was my favourite, the controversial one. Oh, so when David Silver, where he was off the field, and then the ball was off the field. So it, it, there was an argument over a penalty. There was yeah. an argument over the referee's reaction to making the decision over the penalty. There was an argument about whether the ball was in or out. And amongst all this confusion, David Silver, being David Silver, just ran over and said, well, I'll just get the ball and give it my teammate and we'll score and go off and celebrate. We'll leave all these arguing, which happened. Managers arguing, players arguing, officials looking at each other. And David Silver and Bernardo Silva just skipped off into the sunset hand in hand, having won the game for Manchester City. I just thought that moment, it just showed the class of David Silva that he wasn't getting involved in all the confusion and, and all the waiting around for the referee. He was he just getting on with it. To, to a go. Yeah. Well, I think he whatever. Was also offside. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Sorry, did I miss that out? Yeah, he was also <laughs> offside. Yeah, yeah. They certainly showed his class. So, uh, well, there are all sorts of positives here for Man City because uh, Mares continued his uh, remarkable form, and Kevin De Bruyne made his return from injury, so that's nice. And Man City are off in Ukraine to play Shakhtar Donetsk on Tuesday. Of course, City lost their last meeting with uh, Shakhtar. Shakhtar. Yes. Yeah, and they don't have a good record in Ukraine either. Stats reveal. The City team that played there last season, though, yeah. it was it was, uh, it was was a much-changed side because it was towards, I think it was even the final game of the group stage maybe when everything was settled. So you had Phil Foden in there, Mangala played, Yaya Torre played, Adarbayo played as well. So mm. it, it wasn't a first-choice City team, really. Of course, City have had one or two issues in the Champions League. Liverpool, meanwhile, are at home to controversies Red Star Belgrade. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool could score. I think Liverpool, if you take out the virtual dead rubber against Porto, because they've won the first leg by a huge margin, they've scored 27 in the last seven home games in the Champions League. Wow. Which includes... 27 in seven? Yeah, which includes Paris Saint-Germain, which includes Roma, which includes Manchester City. I think they might score five or six on Wednesday night. And didn't didn't Red Star concede five in their last... uh... They conceded by a margin of five goals, which was handy for... Allegedly handy for one of the club employees who had a had a bang on exactly that. Right. Okay. And the inquiry continues. <laughs> yeah. Right. The problem for Liverpool is that they're not really creating a lot of chances, mm. even against Huddersfield. Okay, you can say Huddersfield are tough to play against, but once you go one it up, you'd expect Liverpool to be very sharp on the counter attack and really have a go and, and use that kind of space that um, the Huddersfield tend to leave behind their pressing, but it just did not happen. I think Klopp was talking about the fact that he wants his team to rest a bit more um, on the ball and to sort of to be slightly less energetic, but it seems a little bit like a halfway house at the moment. They haven't really found the same fluidity. Um, of course, they have found a, uh, a new solidity at the back but the price they've paid for it is quite considerable. They just don't look like creating many chances at the moment. It's like that old, uh, another Rafa, Rafa Benitez, and his quote about Liverpool being like a, a duvet. Yes, but that was in the transfer market, I think. Was it? Yeah. I just kind of mentioned it because we had a duvet that was up for grabs last week. Uh, Tom Williams needed to get rid of his duvet, and a listener snapped it up like that. Thank you, listener. Yeah, I think it was either about the transfer market or the composition of the squad, where he said, you know, you you pull at one side mm. and then your feet get cold on the other. 
Uh, there's just not enough duvet to go around. Right. Um, not enough I'm not continental sure. coverage. Yeah. Which is something you wouldn't say about this show. That's right, James. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> so uh, just wondering just how backhanded that compliment was, but yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll hear how Rafa Benitez's current duvet pulling is getting on later on when we uh, discuss Newcastle's clash with Brighton. Right now, though. I want to talk Spurs. Michael, they're away at PSV. This is a big game. Uh, yes, it is a big game, and it's one that they probably should win. PSV are going disappointingly well under Mark van Bommel, who I think is my least favourite footballer of all time, but no. he's doing a very good job there. Why? Um, because it, for 10 years he ruined games by going out and kicking talented opposition players. Um, and you don't forgive, do you? It just ruined the spectacle of a lot of high-profile matches. Right. And, and to be fair, was very good at getting away with it, unlike some other players of his era. He was excellent at kind of, you know, being being mated with the referee and, and getting in his good books and then not getting in his book, if that makes sense. Who, yeah, no, absolutely. Who who else is in your, your black book? Well, <laughs> I mean, Paul Scholes got away with it for years by the fact he was a classy, talented passer, didn't he? Yeah. But one of the dirtiest players in, in Premier League that I can think of, certainly, Paul Scholes. Right. Anyway, the irony being that Van Bommel's PSV are nowadays absolutely spectacular. Uh, they had another, they had a six-nil win this weekend. That's their ninth victory in a row. They've scored thirty-six goals and conceded only three. This is in the Eredivisie, of course. In the Champions League, though, like Spurs, they've also lost to Barcelona and Inter. So for these two teams, it's make or break time. Yes, and maybe it's interesting as well. Spurs have a lot of former Ajax players, so some of them won't be involved. But I always think of Spurs as kind of. Retaining a lot of those kind of classic Dutch principles, you know, the way that they play at the back with Ordua World and Vertonghen and Davinson Sanchez, Eriksen further forward. I think this could be an interesting clash of styles. And right. Interesting to see Van Bommel's PSV against this calibre of, of opposition as well, because, you know, they kind of side, if they get a result against Tottenham, you think maybe they are a serious, uh, serious proposition. Absolutely. Eriksen, though, who did feature briefly in the game against West Ham, so presumably will be available for this. That defeat of the Hammers that's now their second 1-0 loss in a row Uh, they've got their lowest points total at this stage of the season since 2010 and Yarmolenko's just picked up what looks like being quite a serious injury yeah an Achilles tear apparently oh what's that mean I think that's three or four months I think six is it six is it that's the worst one that six is more than three or four Right, yeah, it's yeah, confirmed. very much so. Six is worse, yeah. <laughs> well, that's rotten for... It's two more than four. <laughs> for poor old three West Ham. Um, mm. It's 2010, the year they got relegated with Avram Grant. Yeah. Well, they finished bottom that year, so, yeah. What about Spurs, Rafa and... I think Ooh. we have to show them a bit of love. They are kind of um, slightly unspectacular and we're all used to them getting results. And here they are again, you know, two points off off the top of the table and if their trajectory had been slightly different if they'd come from fifth or sixth we'd be talking about a wonderful season that they're having and just look at what Pochettino's doing but we all just kind of, kind of shrug it off because it's now the fourth year that Spurs are doing this and it is quite remarkable there was so much and there probably still is so much negativity around the stadium issue um, I know for a fact that you know the fans were genuinely unhappy about the transfer uh, policy. I think it was very, very easy to get upset with the whole, I wouldn't say drift, but that kind of uh, lack of a vision that uh, seemed to be coming through for this season. You know, kind of a holding pattern. Okay, let's all wait until we're in a new stadium and then we go again. But it doesn't seem to affect their their results. I mean, you can say that the performances are 
not spectacular, but they're, they're spectacular in the sense that they are very, very efficient and very successful. So I think they are, they're going under the radar a little bit unfairly. A lot, lot of positive signs here. Kane continuing his kind of return to form with a De Bruyne-esque uh, assist for uh, Lamella. And Hugo Lloris, no longer bumbling figure of fun, but actual shot-stopping goalkeeper. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I can't remember who it is who tweets, but whenever he makes a mistake, someone tweets to say, there goes Hugo Lloris making his occasional rare mistake again every other week. I don't think he's a, as good a goalkeeper as Tottenham would like him to be, but he did play well against, against West Ham. You know, yeah. I, I thought I was being unfair, but I can't remember the last time everyone was talking about a Hugo Lloris performance and saying how he'd save points for Tottenham or saved a game for Tottenham, considering he's a goalkeeper of such standing. Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't actually remember that happening before. But he did here, no? Oh, yeah, he did here. Yeah, mm. he made probably about four, three or four saves in the second half just from Arnautovic alone, one of which was, which was absolutely top class. But I just don't really remember that happening very often. I, I thought that was maybe unfair of me, but I've been encouraged now by Daniel's words. <laughs> yeah. You one, can hate on Hugo as much as you like. Brief point on the top four in general. Assuming Arsenal beat Leicester on Monday evening... Um, Tottenham will be fifth in the Premier League on 21 points from nine games, which is just above 2.3 points a game. That would have been enough to finish seven or eight points ahead of Manchester United in second last season. So the you know the the gap between the top five and the rest, and the the, the standard of performance of of those top five clubs against the Premier League rest is that's that's what's putting Manchester United so far down the league because they've kind of bobbed along as they were, and everyone else has upped their game to another level. Interesting, but I think it's it's. A little bit problematic to extrapolate it mm. like that. I mean, if you extrapolate the top four at any point and the bottom three at any point in the, if any season after the first nine or ten games, you'd always get the highest points and the lowest points because the last couple of years we've always said we've said, will this be the season that it takes more more points than ever before to make the top four? And I think it kind of has been true a general trend over the last two or three years. I just wonder if this every season we say, well, six don't go into four or five don't go into four. I wonder if this is the year that. You know, there is a genuine five-team chase all the way for four positions. Well, you look at games won from the clubs from first to fifth, and they've all won six or seven. If Arsenal win later, they'll be seven. It'll only be Chelsea in the top five who haven't won seven from nine, and also three three teams unbeaten. I don't I don't know when that last happened after nine matches in the Premier League, but I don't know if it's ever happened before. To be fair, wow. Much to consider, but not for us, because next up we're going to go continental. With the big news about Spain, Barcelona going back on top, Leo Messi breaking his arm and Real Madrid on the verge of sacking the manager. Aye, those wonderful Tuesday and Wednesday nights of European football. I miss the excitement of them so much I've taken up pottery classes just to fill the gap that's left in my life like. Step away from the kiln, sad Celtic fan. With the same game multi from Paddy Power, the Champions League is exciting again, even for you. And you'll get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold same game multi lets you down. Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre match fourfold same game multi bets on Champions League matches. Max free bet £10 per customer per day. Minimum odds. Exclude shop bets. Season season apply. 18 plus. BigGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Alvaro Romeo of Talksport International. Uh, as we head into another exciting match day of Champions League action, the big story is the Spanish clubs. Alvaro, Real Madrid losing again, dropping to sixth place. 
Barcelona going top, but Messi breaking his arm. What's going on, first of all, with Messi? Who did this? Well, what happened with Messi was a very unfortunate thing. Um, there was no clear fault or any bad intention by any Sevilla player, uh, by, any, by any means. Uh, but Messi was just unlucky to fall uh, the wrong way. And uh, he's got a fracture in his elbow and he's going to be out for three weeks. Um, this means that uh, we are delving into the unknown uh, without Messi playing for Barcelona because uh, we don't know how good or how bad Barcelona is going to be without Messi. But we are seeing how Real Madrid is suffering without Cristiano Ronaldo. And I've got the feeling that Barcelona is going to be, by all means, uh, a worse thing without uh, Lionel Messi because not only he scores an assist, but he also does a tremendous um, job gathering the, the midfield and the, and the strikers together. On Wednesday against Inter Milan, we will see what Barcelona is up to without Messi. And this is going to be the first El Clásico without uh, Ronaldo and Messi since 2007. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, players like Coutinho, Dembélé or Luis Suárez um, are going to do. Obviously, they are going to show up. They have to show up. And uh, all the focus has to be on uh, Coutinho and Dembélé because they were signed for a tremendous amount of money to sign not only in, uh, with, uh, with Messi, but also in the absence of uh, the Argentinian star. Absolutely. So, yeah, the Clasco coming up uh, next weekend, but before that, these two Champions League clashes. As you mentioned, uh, Barcelona will be hosting uh, Inter in a, a reenactment of the, the infamous uh, Champions League uh, semi-final with the water sprinklers and, uh, and all that business. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Real Madrid uh, have to host uh, Victoria Pilsen. Real having lost again at the, uh, at the weekend to Levante, which has left them down in sixth place. Four defeats and a draw in the last five. Is it the manager's fault? There's a lot of talk he's going to be replaced now. Or is it the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo was basically papering over all the cracks? I think that there were problems at Real Madrid. I mean, if you finish the league 17 points away from Barcelona, there is clearly something wrong. Maybe not in the big nights uh, when the big players, want, big players want to sign, but definitely definitely in the day-to-day -day routine. Uh, Real Madrid didn't have that routine uh, in the league. And uh, probably Zidane understood that. Zidane understood that there was a bit of complacency in the squad. And I don't think Lopetegui, um, Lopetegui is guilty in any case. If anything, he was a little bit reckless uh, leaving the Spanish national team before the World Cup started. But this is a different story. Mm -hmm. But uh, when he signed for Real Madrid, he really thought that Cristiano Ronaldo was going to be on board. And Real Madrid president didn't bring any other striker just to mitigate the loss of Cristiano Ronaldo. The only thing they did was signing Mariano, signing back Mariano from Olympique Lyon as soon as they lost the UEFA Super Cup against Atletico de Madrid. Mm. But uh, this doesn't respond to any plan or any planification. It was just a way of patching up a problem. Therefore, I would say that Lopetegui shouldn't be blamed for this. Uh, obviously, he's responsible. Uh, he's unresponsible, but the main culprit here is Real Madrid president because for a reason that we don't know, um, he has uh, witnessed how so many players left Real Madrid over the last 15 months and uh, he hasn't done anything about it. So there's a lot of talk that, uh, well, Raul or maybe Xavi Alonso or Arsene Wenger even or Antonio Conte could be waiting in the wings. When do you think a change would happen then on the Real Madrid bench? It will happen certainly if uh, this week uh, 
doesn't have any positive outcome for Real Madrid. Um, Antonio Conte seems to be the main candidate, according to Spanish reports. And uh, Santiago Solari, the manager of Real Madrid-Castilla, um, will be probably a transitional manager until the Italian signs for Real Madrid. But also there are some doubts about Antonio Conte because um, in his la during his last year at Chelsea, he burned the bridge with some players. And obviously, if you cannot handle uh, Chelsea dressing room, probably you will find it very difficult to yeah. obviously to, to face and obviously challenge a locker room like Real Madrid one with so much silverware. Extraordinary times in the Liga there. Barcelona top now because they beat Sevilla, who were on top. 4-2. You know who's in second and third, Michael? Uh, Espanol and, and Alaves. And then Sevilla in fourth. Then you got Atletico Madrid fifth. And then Real Madrid in sixth. And how are they going to be without... Messi, who's already got 12 goals for them this season, as Alvaro was saying, it does a lot more to tie everything together. Usman Dembele, uh, the, the likely candidate to replace him, but Rafa, how they could do with Paco Alcacer at this point. Oh, right? uh, yeah. What a, what a season he's having. Yeah. Unbelievable. Right. Scored well, again, scored an absolute beautiful goal for Dortmund in their 4 0 evisceration of a team I've forgotten. Uh, they beat, was it Stuttgart? Stuttgart, Stuttgart, Stuttgart yes, yeah. Stuttgart, yes. He scored, and uh, that man, Jaden Sancho, got one and assisted another, After didn't he? After three minutes, he scored Jaden Sancho, yeah. I mean, Dortmund are right now um, the most fun team in Europe to watch, I think. Every time they go forward, um, you feel those three or four guys with their movement will, will create a chance, and they're so much fun to watch because they attack from slightly deeper positions, so you have that sense of movement that you get. Um, that that city also have when you think it's it's not just positional play it's also position plus pace plus changing positions it's really really uh, great to see and and both Paco Alcácer and Jaden Sancho have far exceeded expectations this season Sancho was a player that was developing Alcácer was a player who was on the bench Dortmund felt okay maybe he can help us but he's actually turned us almost his career around in the space of three months, going back for Spain, the national team, and being right now the best forward in the Bundesliga as well. Right. How how much of this free-flowing uh, Borussia Dortmund attack do you think we're going to see against Atletico Madrid, the masters at shutting it down? Yeah, I mean, Atletico Madrid and free-flowing attack don't really uh, sit easy in the same sentence. Um, I'd like to see Dortmund try. I think they will. But, of course, they have to be very careful because they cannot expose themselves too much. They have now a, um, a nice balance in the squad with two um, guys who are sort of doing the, the unglamorous stuff in the engine room, Axel Witzel and uh, uh, Thomas Delaney. But I think those front guys will have to work really hard getting back and not being out of position when they lose the ball. So it could be quite cagey. Um, a draw is, is a decent result considering that both teams have, have won their, their previous games. So I, maybe not the game to see uh, fizzing attacking football. Right, but you know, one to keep an eye on, maybe in the context of a panoply of other results through a medium such as the Gold Show. I would really recommend that, James. Because that, that way you'd be able to see what's going on between... Borussia Dortmund and Atletico and Madrid, all the other games. but also Real Madrid against Victoria Pulsen, which might be really boring, but they might turn out to be the big storyline, the way things are going. They've yeah. just lost to Real Madrid, the last game against CSK Moscow. You can also, of course, find out what's happening with uh, Bayern Munich, where there's been a slight uptick in fortunes, is there? Well, they won a game after yeah. four games uh, without a win, after two 
back-to-back defeats in the Bundesliga, which doesn't happen often. I looked back in the stats, and if they'd lost this game, so the third goal, uh, third game in a row in the league, uh, the last time it happened in a competitive sense because it did happen under Pep but they'd already won the league by then mm. so didn't really care so the last time it happened in a competitive sense was under Giovanni Trapattoni Pwah. 20 years ago wow. was that 20 years ago Trapp? yeah 97, 98 and a second Strunz. spell yeah, yeah. Mm. exactly exactly then when, right. when Strunz happened so it didn't happen Bayern won a way to very compliant uh, Fafa Wolfsburg they're the sort of team you want to come up against when you're struggling a little bit um, Bayern even had Ian Robin sent off quite comically oh, yeah. for a dive and a foul but still ran out 3-1 winners Bayern will be taking on AEK Athens in the yes. Champions League this week uh, in other Champions League news PSG taking on Napoli Napoli looking nice and tight under Carlo Ancelotti now clean sheets galore they won 3-0 away Udinese PSG 5-0 at Amiens no, Neymar, who, according to the Italian press, was out with a broken heart. What? <laughs> he what? was out with a broken heart. He was arrested. No, because he'd, he'd split up with his girlfriend. Oh, oh, but I read through the report, you know, to hear about this enterprising young lady who walked out on Neymar, but apparently he ditched her. And also they rested other players. Did they, uh, also? Yeah, they also? I don't know if they had similar issues. That was Sir Thomas Munier. and her, uh, then surely she'd be the one. You'd think, Rafa, although sometimes... Unless he's... You know, Absolutely he maybe he said, it's not you, it's me. And it genuinely was him. And that's something that he had to spend the weekend exploring alone, you know, not in the context of a football match. Anyway. I wonder if it'll heal in time to play Napoli. I would that's imagine. That's question. Yeah, that's... Uh, oh, I tell you what, speaking of France... I think that could be the game of the... PSG um, Napoli. Could well be. Although Inter, Barcelona, Inter... Yeah, but there's no Messi. So yeah, too. but there's Icardi... Inter's Messi, product, you know, former Barcelona youth player, fresh from a, a, a derby win. Yeah, he won like yeah. in the 90, he scored the winner in the ninety-second minute in the Milan derby. As James Horncastle tweeted, "Resto tardi vi tromba Icardi." And apologise, apologies to any Italian speakers there. Um, but anyway, speaking was it, of France, kind of the later the day the man arrives, or something. No, it was no. sooner or later. Sooner or later, right, okay. Icardi will give you Do one. one. Yes. Speaking right. of France, anyway, as I was attempting to do, if you're here to find out how Thierry Henry got on in his managerial debut, then have we got news for you. In football, you either win or you learn, my friend. Strap yourselves in. Yes, Thierry Henry's managerial debut saw a 10-man Monaco side beaten 2-1 at Strasbourg. They haven't had a victory since the opening weekend of the season. They're now only above Bottom club Gangon on goal difference and Radimol Falcao limped off with a calf injury that will probably rule him out of their midweek trip to Belgium where they're going to be taking on Bruges. So Thierry Henry back in Belgium. Interesting. Listeners, even your good friends here at the Totally Football Show need to take a break from the football every now and then. And that's why we read The Economist. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can get yourself a free copy of The Economist right now by texting the word football to 78070. The Economist is about far more than just economics and finance. Since 1843, it's been covering a range of subjects from politics and business to science, technology, arts and even sport. For example, there's an article in a recent issue all about the Turkish economy and why foreign funding and bad loans have caused the lira to slide. So not only did I learn that Turkey's currency is called the lira, but the piece has also equipped me with the information I need to tell my Arsenal friends who are fed up with Mesut Ozil why he can't possibly sign for Fenerbahce because they just don't have the spondulies. Yep, you're stuck with him, I'm afraid. 
Anyway, it's nuggets like that that helps economist readers prepare for what's going on in the world around them, a world in which facts count more than ever. The Economist is the smart guide to the forces changing your world. Get your free print copy now. Just text FOOTBALL to 78070. Now, moving along, next port of call on our international roundup is MLS, where, as you probably know, Wayne Rooney scored twice on Sunday to lift DC United to a place in the MLS playoffs. To put that in perspective, they were bottom of the conference when he joined them. His five goals and seven assists have pad them up the table and there's more to come as they head into uh, the final game of the regular season and the playoffs afterwards. Wow. With LA Galaxy now back on the playoff trail, only one point with the game in hand behind Rail Salt Lake and all sorts of other MLS stories, we've decided, listener, to put together a totally football show American edition. Wow. Daniel, can you guess, in your wildest dreams, who do you think we might get to present that? Is it Coventry City Hall of Famer Kobe Jones? Damn, who, how did you know? It is. It is. And a short time ago, we spoke to him to get his take on the season so far. Uh, it's been pretty interesting here in MLS. There's been a lot of ups and downs uh, and it's been a lot tighter in the West than I think uh, people expected. You know, you're seeing some teams that everyone thought that would be going to the top, like the Galaxy, and uh, they've been uh, struggling a little bit. But uh, overall, the exceeding is, the season has been exciting. You know, from East and West, I mean, a team like Atlanta, I mean, they've been absolutely incredible, breaking all types of records. So we'll see what happens. But then on the other side, you have a team defending champions, Toronto, already eliminated, not even making the playoffs. So it's been a season of anything can happen. And who have been your standout players, Kobe? Well, I mean, some players that have stood out is obviously with the addition of Zlatan Ibrahimovic into the league. I mean, he's one that everybody is talking about and what he can do for the Galaxy. Can he push them into the playoffs? You know, I mean, he's always good for at least one line or two a week. So it's always something special when you have Ibrahimovic. Uh, Teams, you know, overall, you know, Atlanta has been... I think exciting for everybody, regardless if you like Atlanta, you're cheering for another team. It's exciting to watch them play because it's just fast pace. And, you know, Almiron, how he has been playing through the midfield. He's been spectacular with the way he's been able to feed players and open up players. He's been able to open up defenses just by himself. Not Wayne Rooney then. (laughs) <laughs> no, Rooney? Uh, no, I would say Rooney's an exciting one, too. I haven't been able to see as much as Rooney as I would like to because, you know, to be honest, DC United was one of those teams that was towards the bottom and everyone was thinking, OK, well, they're probably going to another season. They're not going to make it again. Then all of a sudden Rooney comes into play. And what do you know? They're going to have, I think, probably have a decent run. They could be that wild card that could surprise any team that they face in the East. And one last thing, Kobe, who's your pick for the playoffs? Looking out for in the playoffs, I mean, there's the, there's the standards, right? I mean, I, I would say Atlanta is pretty exciting. One that a lot of people aren't talking about, but they're consistent, you know, all the time is New York Red Bull. I mean, they have been spectacular. The way that they have played, they always score goals. They've had a bit of a coaching change. Chris Armas is there as coach now with Jesse Marsh leaving, but they haven't missed a beat. You know, they're right underneath the top with uh, Atlanta right above them, but it keeps flipping back and forth. So I think they're the one to really watch out for that people aren't too, you know, they're not really paying attention to how they've been playing, but they're sneaking in there. USMNT's most capped player there, Coventry City's Kobe Jones. And a lovely guy. Is he a nice yeah, guy? Yeah, I briefly Rafa? met him in uh, Moscow and uh, he was really, really nice. All right. Well, if you enjoyed that, you can hear lots more of him without me. Uh, 
from Friday, the Totally Football Show American edition. That's from Friday, October 26th in all your usual podcast providers. Also, and much more exotically, Totally Football League show. Carolyn Barker, they'll be talking about Borough back on top with Tony Pulis and, hey, Aston Villa winning there. First game there with uh, Dean Smith and the other fella. Excellent. Now, ooh, let's get back to the Premier League just as soon as you tell us your story about Sir Alex Ferguson and the toilet. I'm actually going to tell this. I don't know. I, I just thought it was just a complete... Well, okay. I've not heard the story, in. So, last week, what are you doing your hand gesture for, Daniel? Daniel doesn't want me to tell this. I don't know why. Do you know the story, Daniel? So, no, I'm, I'm interested. I'll judge it out of ten. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So, last week, I had the chance to take Ben Thornley, former Manchester United starlet, forgotten man of the class of 92 in many ways, around the Old Cliff training ground in Salford, and... Although the facility has been used since the first team moved out 18 years ago, the top floor of the first team facility had had very little done to it and I was absolutely spellbound by the sight of an intact, untouched Sir Alex Ferguson ensuite bathroom suite. Thank including, goodness, because I think we all had <laughs> a very different ending to that sentence. Including yeah. his old throne. And I just found it absolutely fascinating Sat there. Why? What? What? Was what? it an actual throne? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? An actual flushing throne. What? Um, what with gold and everything, like the Beckham. No, it was like a sort of nineteen eighties teak, I would say. Oh yeah. In colour, okay. yeah. Was there anything different about it? Was there any concession to the man's stature? No. However, was uh, there a selection of reading material? Any interesting publications that the, 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 there would have been? They, they've been they have been the cleared. Day. They have been cleared out. Yeah. Um, so basically, you just went to the old training ground, <laughs> and there's still his bathroom there. Really? But his toilet was by the door. Oh yeah. And um, I was informed that he used to hold many a meeting whilst sat no. a throne with the door open. Uh, with the door open and and different coaches coming in and out to discuss different tactical points. Oh wow! Now that is good. So apparently, like things would just occur to him whilst right. he was whilst never off there. the job, even when. Absolutely, you know. yeah. yeah. So it, it did make me wonder. I was sort of spellbound by what decisions were actually pondered, sat on that very yeah. toilet seat. That's Fe- extraordinary. Feces, bloody hell! Yeah, I mean, I mean absolutely. <laughs> So out of ten, then Daniel, you said you were going to mark it. I don't know what you well, think. It was actually better than I thought it was going yeah. to be. So it's six, the, the and a, six and a half. Yeah, six and a half. <laughs> okay. Speaking of uh, toilet, let's move on to the bottom of the Premier League table. Uh, hey, where Cardiff have now moved out of the bottom three. Get you bluebirds. A 4-2 win over Fulham. Cardiff had only scored four times in their opening eight games, doubling their tally for the season in one stroke. Yeah, it's 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 good to play Fulham. Yeah, I'm quite pleased with Cardiff. I mean, I, I know that they've been getting pummeled every week, so I've I've kind of got this lingering feeling that Neil Warnock's actually doing a decent job with this group of players, who I really think are mid-table championship standard. It feels ludicrous to say that when they hadn't won a game, so now they have won a game. I can be a bit more open and say, yeah, they did very well. Um, as Daniel says. The Fulham defence is absolutely shambolic. I mean, it didn't get any better this week. There were more changes. They brought in Callum Chambers at right back, who made two quite bad errors, particularly for the first goal, which was just incredibly easy for Josh Murphy. I mean, he got the ball 30 yards out, kind of sauntered into a goal-scoring position with no challenges. Um, and, and Chambers uh, later was lucky not to be sent off for pulling back Murphy when he was through on goal. So real problems for Fulham. I think, you know, increasingly they are looking at Jukanovic and his job. Um, there's a statistic I found interesting. They've considered the second highest number of goals ever in the Premier League by this stage. 
after Southampton 2012-13. And I think that's quite an interesting comparison because when Southampton came up that season, they had a kind of similar reputation as Fulham, played really good stuff in the championship and they were kind of quite fearless with how they approach games, particularly against big sides. They got thrashed, I think, 6-0 or 6-1 at Arsenal. But then after about this period, Nigel Adkins completely changed the approach. They dropped a lot deeper. They played more defensively. The wide midfielders were protecting the defence and that's pretty much what Fulham need to do. Or else you have to say that Jukanovic will be replaced by someone the way that Adkins was replaced by Pochettino quite harshly in the end, but you understood why they wanted to make an upgrade. So real problems for Fulham, which is a shame because they've got so many talented players going forward. Yeah, as evidenced by the goals from Shirley and Sessing. Shirley's goal was a, a beauty, no? He's, well, in, he's in good form. He's actually doing really well. I wonder if Joachim Löw might consider um, calling him up again. But uh, I think it's very frustrating. I think he, he even went on the record after the game saying it's a bit of a pattern that every time we score, we, we concede. Um, I don't think there's a lot of trust as far as uh, Fulham's backlines li- back um, potential to keep clean sheets or at least to defend sort of half competently is concerned. I think ultimately that's, that's going to affect the whole, the whole team if you feel that you know, whatever we do here, we're going to concede a couple of goals. It will be very difficult to convince yourself that you have any chance of... Uh, of getting out of the relegation zone. Daniel, you're going to give us the stats on how many goals Fulham are projected to concede oh, this season. Well, I've, I've already been a little bit told off by Michael for extrapolation, and rightly so. But the, as Michael himself said, they do have the joint worst defence of any team at this stage. I think you can have it, I don't think is at fault for all the players bought this summer, and it's pretty clear that they overinvested up front on a team that already scored quite a lot of goals and under, underinvested on a defence that conceded quite a few. But his only op- his only two plans at the moment seem to be a changing the defence every single game and b whenever he finds a strategic a strategic issue mm. in a game his only response is just to do more attacking it's such simplistic 2 plus 2 equals 4 management and in the premier league you'll get found out doing that. As has been the case so far. Uh, Fulham dropping into the bottom three. Newcastle very much residents down there. Had their fifth straight home defeat. Uh, this time to Brighton, 1-0, which will be nice for Chris Hutton uh, against his former club. Lots of talk. We mentioned the rumours about possibly Rafa Benitez moving on uh, last week. Uh, Brendan Rodgers now being linked with the Newcastle job. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it'd be a good appointment. I mean... Personally, I think Rogers could probably do better than that. I think he's an excellent manager who's succeeded at three, you know, three different types of clubs. And uh, yeah, with respect to Newcastle, I don't think they're the kind of in in the kind of situation that Rogers should be looking to go to, really, because right. I think there's a danger they're going down. Uh, although they are just down the road from him, aren't they? Because it's quite close. Uh, they, Celtic, by the way, <laughs> moved up to second in the Scottish Premier League with a four-two win over Hibs. So they're you know, slowly restoring order. Hearts still on top more in the Totally Scottish Football Show. That's late Monday, early Tuesday. Also this weekend, uh, Bournemouth had a 0-0 draw with Saints, which is better from Southampton. No, Mark Hughes called it a statement. So that's nice. <laughs> a lot of people saying, yeah, what kind of statement is that? But actually it's a good result, no, for Southampton? Yeah, Bournemouth are very hot and cold. And if you catch them on a, a nice day, you could hope to get a result. But Southampton's problem is still his scoring. Mm. They've... I think they've they've created the fifth most chances in the Premier yeah, League this we season. Yeah, last weekend. Yeah, yeah, and scored six goals. It's terrible. And Danny Ings was meant to be an upgrade, and I think he is an upgrade on what they had, but not enough. I think they play really good stuff, Southampton. I've been impressed with Hjoiberg in central midfield. Mm. And, uh, is it Hjoiberg or Hjoibery? Hjoiberg. 
Bier. Is it? Sure, Bier. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not worry about that. He's he's a very good player. Him anyway. Yeah. Yes, and and Cedric Suarez as well, who I think has uh, actually looked better since they've gone to back four rather than a back three, which is odd because I would have said he suited the other system, but he's actually better in a back four, I think. Okay, so Saints fans should be reasonably happy with the work Mark Hughes is doing? I think Hughes has done quite a good job since he got there, actually, and I think Hughes is quite a good manager. Really? My assumption would always be quite the opposite. I think it's it's the Allardyce issue that he has, in that he will make a club better, but there are enough supporters that he will alienate through a lack of goals and and actually just his general demeanour that does him no favours, I think. Particularly his refereeing gripes, which is a kind of a cliche of his management when things are going wrong. And Mm. I think that just, I think does him no favours because he probably is better than the impression he gives. Has he made Southampton better? I mean, they've got six points. Oh yeah, I mean he's made them better. He's made them better than they were under Pellegrini. Going down, yeah, Yeah, they were terrible. Oh yeah, no, I know, but they, they he saved them. But then this year, aren't they? back to where they were before I still, think they're, I still think they're a high level I think the work he did at Stoke was really underrated as well he did a fantastic job at Stoke the last half season was disastrous I know but uh, yeah it was difficult at Stoke because he was sort of rallying against the general feeling of what Stoke should be and what they are as well he, he sort of took on quite a lot of the old adages about you know the way that Stoke City uh, you, yeah, he tried mind. to take the Stoke rule book and tear it up. Never mind. He took on the man. I was getting that glazed look from behind the microphone <laughs> for the second time, <laughs> yeah. or maybe third time today. Six so, now. Right. We'll give you six now. All right. So, Wolves, hey, they lost at home to Watford. It's a Hornets' first win since early September. In many ways, one of the outstanding results of the, of the weekend, no? Absolutely, yeah. Not many teams, I think, Wolves' first home defeat since February, I think. Um yeah, not many teams will win by more than one goal at, at Molyneux this season. They hadn't conceded any goals in the last five Wins. games in all competitions. There you go. Also, yeah. I think that was impressive because they uh, they had two different forwards then. They they had uh, Isaac Success, who I must say I've been really impressed with this this year, makes really good runs onto the channels. And Dale Lefeu, who I must admit I kind of forgot about, and I certainly don't consider a central forward, but was just really lively with his direct running. And I think when you when you take out the two forwards and put in two different forwards and you still play with such attacking confidence, that says a lot about the system and, and how well that Xavi Grassi has moulded them together. Absolutely. Capui and Pereira both scoring. Ducore with two assists as well. He's continuing to just constantly provide attacking contributions despite notionally being a, a kind of central midfielder. Yeah, was it last season when he had a brilliant first half of the campaign? Yeah, and the vanished. Start. Yeah, it was strange because he was really being linked with proper big clubs in January, and then by the summer, it's almost like everyone forgot about him. Him, mm. him and Marco Silva effectively had the same season in that Silva Everton got linked Johnson. to the Everton job, nothing right. happened, and then they all kind of tailed off. Richarlison, Pereira, yeah, said that, yeah. the mm. Pereira goal was a really mm. good finish, like subtly a really good finish. It was so smooth that you don't realise how good it was first time round, but mm. outside of the left foot was fantastic. Speaking of Marco Silva, anyway, he's now at Everton. As you know, listener, they had a 2-0 win over Palace. It's their third straight win. Palace are still two points off the drop because most people lost down there. And uh, they've got one goal in five in all competitions. Roy Hodgson's in a bit of trouble, I think. The accusation from Palace fans is that he's um, completely passive in, in the middle of games and doesn't make his substitutions quicker. So there's no worse way to lose than to concede goals to two substitutions made by Marco Silva to try and change the game. And Hodgson didn't make a change until he was 2-0 down. And by then it was far too late. They'd played nearly 90 minutes. And I think he's probably, if he's not careful, in a little bit of jeopardy. Mm. 
Three right, subs, all three were involved directly in the two goals. Mm. Um, interesting for Everton as well, Andre Gomez made his debut for them in midfield and that's certainly an upgrade, even from that one match, from what I saw on the likes of Snyderlin, Gay and uh, Tom Davis. He's just very composed, very confident, very positive in, in the way he plays the ball forward. So he's certainly one to keep an eye on for Everton, I think. I think he definitely is an upgrade in their midfield. Super. Well, listen, we've reached the end of our rainbow in terms of today's Totally Football show. Although, before we go, let's get the odds on those exciting midweek fixtures and more from Paddy Power. Over to you, producer Ben. Thank you, Jimbo. I've got Lee Price, who is in the back of a cab in Dublin, and he's on his way to something Paddy Power related. Lee, we'll talk about the Champions League in a moment, but let's talk about the Premier League and more specifically the bottom of it. Are Newcastle going to get relegated? Yeah, as if it's increasingly likely, talking of taxis, it might be time for taxi for Rafa soon. Newcastle now just 7-4 to four to go down, but Huddersfield and Cardiff remain the odds-on favourites, as they have done all season long. And what about Fulham? I reckon they're going to concede more than 100 goals, as we've been discussing on the show today. What are the odds on them going down or Jokanovic uh, not lasting much longer? Yeah, Fulham's slightly longer price to go down. They're around 7-2. to two. Jokanovic is top of the league in one sense. That's next Premier League manager to go. He's now leapfrogged Jose Mourinho and 5-2 to two to be the next boss to get the boot. All right, let's talk about Mourinho. Let's talk about Manu and the Champions League. They entertain Juventus. Is Ronaldo going to score against them? <laughs> I think so. It's a, it seems inevitability, doesn't it? It's just 11 to 8 that he scores any time. Um, I did ask for a price as well for a non-celebration celebration. We refused to price this one. It's an inevitability. 1 to 100, they reckon. And if Ronaldo does score, you're doing a money-back special on that, aren't you? We are indeed. Money-back as a free bet if Ronaldo scores applies to losing first, last, any-time goal scorers, correct score and what odds paddy markets, max refund £10. All right, Lee, let's look at another couple of games in the Champions League. Spurs are up against PSV. It's a must-win game for both teams, actually. They've both lost their first two games in this competition. I don't fancy Spurs here. What about a draw or a defeat? Yeah, Spurs not to win this one is odds-on, actually. It's 5-6. to six. Uh, Question marks over how much they fancy this. But back-to-back games against PSV, win those two and they're right back in it. OK, and Man City are away in Ukraine to take on Shakhtar. Now, I called it right that they'd score more than four uh, against Burnley at the weekend, but I think they're going to stumble here. What do you guys think? Mr. Optimistic this week for the English teams, aren't you? But again, a short price. City not to win against Shakhtar is two to one, which is about a shorter price for them as you can get all season, actually. You can find out all these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18 plus only be gambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. This Thursday, Totally Football Show returns with Duncan Alexander and Carl Anker. Uh, also, Julian Laurent and James Horncastle will be joining a packed panel to look back on the Champions League midweek games and forward uh, to whatever's happening this weekend. What are you going to be up to, Rafi? You're joining James, Julian and myself for the Gold Show Tuesday and Wednesday. James, yes. Looking wow. forward to it. We'll be kicking off early with whatever the early game is. Is it AK uh, yeah, Bayern? Yeah, it's AK Bayern, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, and then all the goals so from no all the So no snide, snide comments or anything because, you know, Bayern respect. will be listening. Yeah, that's right. We're all about respect. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you there <laughs> tomorrow. Michael, what are you going to be doing? I'll just be watching you on television. I really? Yeah. Really? And you're going to games, aren't you, Yeah, Daniel? I'm uh, Arsenal Monday with Michael. I'm right. Manchester United Tuesday and Liverpool Wednesday. Brilliant. All right. What about you, Ian? Notice how he said Arsenal with Michael, but he knows that I'm at Old Trafford on Tuesday and he didn't say United with Ian. You know, I feel no. quite hurt by that. I needed a seven and a half story out of ten. He said six and a half before as well. Really? Do you know what I mean? Shocking, wow. isn't it? 
Ian. I'm going to blank him in the press room at Old Trafford now after that. I'm looking forward to that being on the Totally Football Show with in. you <laughs> next time you're in. Um, but brilliant. Lovely. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, listener. It was a big one, but we've made it. We'll see you on Thursday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.